When you become a widow, the heartache can be overwhelming. You feel lost, you feel broken, you feel alone, and sometimes you feel like the pain will never go away. I believe that every widow has the capacity to endure, the power to overcome, and the determination to create a new life filled with meaning and purpose. That's why I wanted to create a show called Widow 180. People tell me they come here for the positivity. They listen to Widow 180, the podcast, to be inspired. They come to Widow 180 to be reminded that they have options, that the pain of loss is not a life sentence. Widow 180 is about turning tragedy, loss, and fear into strength, creativity, and a new passion for life. My mission each week is to arm you with these powerful stories of transformation and knowledge so that you can navigate life after loss. I'm Jen Zwink. I'm so glad you're listening. Let's get to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of the Widow 180 podcast. Thank you so, so much for listening today. In this episode, I wanted to share with you what this podcast is all about and give you a little of my story and who I am. Starting this podcast is something I have wanted to do for over a year now, so I am so excited that it is actually happening. And I sort of feel like the universe has been pushing me to do this for a while. You know, when you get an idea and you can't shake it and you can't stop thinking about it, and now it's finally here. So why me? Who am I and why am I so passionate about talking to other widows? Well, I became a widow on October 15th, 2011. My husband Brent had been invited to a bachelor party. It was a Saturday night and I was staying at home with our little girl Claire, who was two at the time. Brent was not an, at all a party kind of guy and he loved to be home with us, but this was a special occasion for his friend, so he decided he was going to go. And he gave us kisses and asked me if his shirt looked okay and then he left for the night. And he told me he was going to text me uh, later that night after he got back to the hotel after going out. And I remember waking up at around 5 a.m. and checking my phone. And he hadn't texted me, but I was just thinking, no big deal. He's just out having a good time. Then the next morning, he was supposed to be home at noon to watch the Saints game. And I still hadn't heard from him. And then he didn't show up. And the game started, and then I really started to worry. So I called his friend, and his friend went to the hotel where Brent was staying, and he wasn't there. So he, he told me the last time he had seen him was around 4.30 in the morning when he left the bar by himself to go back to the hotel. So then I really started to panic, and I called my parents to watch Claire so I could go downtown to talk to the police and went with some friends to try to track him down and see what happened. Now, but this time it was like three in the afternoon and I had given some pictures to the police and they were going around questioning the bar owners and we spent the next several hours retracing steps and still didn't find him. And finally, around eight o'clock at night, we were able to trace his phone to a junkyard that was like two miles from his hotel so we got in the car and the police followed us and uh, fire trucks followed us and we went to this junkyard to go and search for him. But the junkyard was locked and we couldn't get in touch with the owner. So the firemen used their ladders 
they put their ladders up and climbed up to the top and they were shining their spotlights down uh, into the junkyard to try and find him or try and find the phone. And I, it was all just so surreal to me and unbelievable. And I could not wrap my head around what was happening. And after about an hour of searching, they stopped. And the police told me to go home and get some rest and let them do their job. And it was like a scene out of a movie. And I just stood there and I was like, what? What? That's it? I'm supposed to go home without my husband? Um, yeah. So I did. And of course, I couldn't sleep. And my mind was racing and I couldn't breathe. And I could not understand why I was just sitting at home. Um, I sat in bed with Claire sleeping by my side. And, and I just said out loud, I said, Brent, if you can hear me, I need to know that you're okay. Just give me a sign. I need a sign. Send me a sign and let me know that you're okay. And I just kept saying that just over and over. And then I looked across the room and I saw a shadow on the wall and it was Brent's silhouette. And we had this little nightlight in the room and it was casting a shadow onto the wall and it was him. I saw it and I looked away immediately. I just shook my head and I said, no, nope, I did not see that. But then I looked again and then I couldn't take my eyes off of it because it was him and that was the sign. And maybe some people don't believe in that kind of stuff, but it was there. And I started crying and I just knew in that moment that he was gone. So at eight o'clock in the morning, we got a phone call from the coroner's office to come down there to um to talk to him and um I went with my parents and my brother and we walked into a conference room with this big long table and the coroner was just sitting there and said we believe this is your husband and he showed us a picture of Brent and I just looked at him and I said something so stupid like but we're supposed to go to the pumpkin patch today it was just really something stupid like that. I had just gone into shock and my brain stopped working and my body felt numb and I couldn't feel anything. I don't I don't even think that I blinked. I just sat there and didn't know what to say and didn't understand what was happening. So we left there and I had to get back home to my two-year-old to take care of and I still needed to be a mom and I still needed to try to be a good parent and I needed to start making plans for a funeral and um, then we started to get calls from the detective who spent the next several days finding and watching video footage from that night and trying to find witnesses and talking to other people who were out that night and part of the video showed Brent leaving the bar alone and showed two men following him and then they turned onto a dark side street. Um, the two men had walked up behind Brent and attacked him and took his wallet. So several minutes later he was found by someone walking by and they called 911 but Brent had died at the scene. Um, eventually the detectives did find the person that attacked Brent and arrested him later that week 
and they really did an amazing job and they kept us informed every step of the way but mind you I was in such a fog um I hadn't slept in days and I was trying to plan the funeral all at the same time that all of this was happening so I really literally felt like I was going completely insane um I felt so alone uh I was surrounded by friends and family but nobody else was a widow and I was desperate to talk to somebody I desperately needed to talk to someone someone who could understand me um I didn't have anybody then at the funeral my friend Brandy came up to me and said you really need to talk to my friend Cherie uh her husband passed away a couple of years ago and I said yes absolutely give me her number please and I'm pretty sure I called her the very next day um she was so kind when I called her and she just listened to me and listened to me cry and and then she said, we have this amazing group of widows and we get together once a month and the next meeting is Friday and I can't go, but I can let them know if you're coming, if you want to go. And again, I said, yes, absolutely. I, I need to go. So that Friday I went to go to this party. I was driving and I was crying and I was on my way to get there. And then I remembered that Cherie said, that everybody usually brings something like wine or an appetizer or dessert or something. So I ran into Walgreens, I was still crying and I grabbed a box of powdered donuts to bring to this party that I didn't know anybody because sometimes that's just what you do. You cry and you buy cheap donuts at Walgreens. So I got to the house and I went in and I was introduced to about 10 other widows, all like me young widows with kids and some were a little further along than me and had been widows for a couple of years already um, I just sat there and I cried and I listened and by the end of it I felt such this intense relief come over me like I could breathe again um, it was just this immense weight lifted off of my shoulder I, I felt like so that I had found my people and I credit those girls, each and every one of them, for rescuing me, really. Um, I was in such a bad place and in such a state of confusion that I didn't know how I would ever get out of it. Um, and they became my guides. They became my widow mentors, if you will. They had sort of paved the way before me and shared with me the things that they did that worked for them. Uh, for coping and for talking to other people and what to do and say with the kids and how to try to be a good parent even when you feel like you you can't take care of yourself really um, it's the hardest thing that you will ever do in your life so everything I needed their help for everything and I needed their stories and I needed their guidance and they were able to show me that there is hope after losing someone and that there is light after the darkness because I know you don't see it. It's like you can't see it. You're too buried in your pain and sometimes you just can't see past it. Which leads me to this podcast. So uh, I had been asking myself for a while, how can I help other widows and how can I help them 
get through their grief? What can I do to help them see the light after the dark and that a new life, a great life really is possible and that there is so, so much to look forward to even though you don't feel like there is. So I started searching for widows who have suffered immense loss, trauma even, and they've somehow found the strength and found a way to cope and move forward. I wanted to share their stories and the lessons they've learned along the way. I found widows who have started businesses, lost 50 pounds, moved to the other side of the world, started nonprofits, run marathons, the list goes on and on. And there are so, so many of you out there. I can't wait to talk to you and hear what you're doing and what you're working on next and what you've accomplished already. I'm so excited to talk to you. And I feel so privileged to talk to such powerful, fearless women. It's like I want to grab their hand and pull them on stage and shine a spotlight on them and just say, look, look at her. Look at this amazing woman and everything that she's doing now. And maybe, hopefully, there is someone out there listening to that episode and their life completely changes because of it. That is my hope. And that's why I called the podcast the Widow 180 Podcast, because these women have turned their lives completely around. They have taken tragedy and suffering and loss, and they have turned it into creativity and possibilities and opportunities And I hope that you are as inspired by them as I am. And maybe you hear even just one story that really hits home for you and turns your life around. So thank you again for listening. I'm so, so glad you found this show. And be sure to tell a friend about the show if you feel like they need it too. Because we're all here for each other and you can't get through this alone. Okay, so I'll see you next week for my very first interview. Thank you so much for listening to Widow 180, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you're seeking daily inspiration and guidance, you can follow me on Facebook at Widow 180, the community, on YouTube at Widow 180, the channel, and on Instagram at Widow 180. If you're interested in more grief and widowhood resources, including our latest freebie, How to Get Your Life Back Together After Loss, a 10-step checklist, head over to www.widow180.com forward slash freebie. That's www.widow180.com forward slash freebie.